Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Relationship Center on the Edify Podcast Network, and I'm glad you've tuned in. My name is Anis Wamboye, and today we're continuing with our series on the tests on your way to destiny. We have been looking at the life of King David from the moment he was anointed as king to the point where he was appointed as king. And we have said that David went through some character development. He went through certain tests that prepared him for his role as the king of Israel. And we say that this often happens to us when the Lord is leading us to a place of destiny, a place of purpose. He does not just install us immediately after he calls us. The calling may come now, but between the calling and the installation is a series of tests. And we looked at the life of King David and said, indeed, there was a series of tests for him. And we are asking you, is the Lord taking you through these tests Is he sanctifying you? Is he making you more Christ-like? Is he working on your character? Because all these tests include a character development change. They include you being being made into a godly person. And it's important to say that if if we don't go through these tests, if we fail these tests, if we don't give these tests a chance, If we don't learn what God wants us to learn, then we frustrate our destiny. We frustrate our purpose. We bring unnecessary delay. We bring unnecessary um, hiccups in our lives. We, we, We make our reign on the throne impure. And that reign on the throne is David's, but I'm using it figuratively for us to say it makes our purpose impure. And we say that David went through seven tests. The first test was the test of delay, where he had to wait, and he had to be patient. Patience will be cultivated in him. If we are not patient, guys, we cannot rule patiently when we're seated on that throne. This test is cultivating something that you need. Then David went through the test of obscurity, where he was being made into a humble person. If we don't learn humility now, we will be an arrogant leader. We will not be, we will not have the requisite compassion when we get to a place of destiny, when we get to a place of purpose. When we get into our marriages, we won't be humble. And then there's the test of early success. And we saw David defeating Goliath. He got his big break. And he did not gloat about it. He was prudent. If we don't cultivate prudence, we will lack the wisdom to deal with difficult situations and difficult personalities. And look at the test of opposition. And we saw David had resilience cultivated in him. And if we don't have resilience, guys, when the blessing comes, it can be a curse because we'll not handle its weight. You know, being a king, I can imagine for David, uh, uh, I don't know what he thought about being a king before when he was a boy. He must have thought that being a king is the most wonderful thing. You command people, come go. Just thinking about him, just observing the king from the outward, uh, from an outward perspective. He must have thought, oh, the king has got lands, the king has got women, the king has got so much uh, at his disposal. But uh, there is a weight that the crown bears. And you don't just get the pleasures of the crown, you also get the weight of the crown. Um, there's a famous quote that says, how do you grow a boy into a king? And the answer is that you hold the crown over his head until he grows into it. You don't lower the crown onto his head. You hold it up 
at the right place until it grows into it. And this is what's happening. The crown has been held above David's head, and these tests are growing him into it. I think much later when David was king, he realized that um, if he had any illusions concerning being a king, they must have ended. He, if he had any illusions concerning the the soft life of a king, he must have realized, no, uh, being a king is heavy. And he needed resilience as a king. But guess what? That resilience had to be cultivated before he was king. Hence the test of opposition. And then he looked at the test of despair, when you're pushed beyond your limit. And this is cultivated long-suffering. There will be moments of despair, even as you rule, even as you get into your purpose, into your place of destiny. And you must have the necessary long-suffering. You must have that hallmark quality to last. Then look at the test of betrayal, forbearance. And we say that we cannot live life, live life as an island. We will interact with people. And we saw that there were three levels of betrayal. We had Dog the Edomite, who was an outsider, who betrayed David. We had the people from Kayla, who are Israelites, who betrayed David, whom you would think would be grateful to David. And then we had his inner circle, the, the mighty men of David, who were once people who were distressed in debt and discontented. And this heart, I can imagine this really hurt David. And we say that David encouraged himself to the Lord. Guys, you need forbearance because even when you are in your place of destiny, um, betrayal is real. Betrayal is real. And we saw that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And we learned that uh, men fail, but you trust yourself, you trust in the Lord. And I believe one, one particular instance where David learned that men fail and men are brutal, but you'd rather trust the Lord is when one time David made the mistake, he, he, was, he was tempted by Satan to number the people. And he gave into the temptation. And when he gave into the temptation, and it's interesting when it says he was tempted by Satan. First Chronicles says he was tempted by Satan. Uh, but uh, but I think, uh, is it is it Second Samuel said uh, David was, you know, David was in, in himself, you know, numbered the Israelites. And it's interesting that in one, one of the books, it just says David himself numbered the Israelites. But in one instance, it says David was tempted by Satan. Either way, it was a partnership between um, the temptation of the underworld from Satan and David's own flesh. And you can see how the enemy takes advantage of our flesh to tempt us. And so anyway, the point is that David numbered the Israelites. And it brought a curse to the people. Even after David was warned by Joab, don't number the people. He went ahead and he numbered the people. When the punishment was coming through, David was asked, do you want to fall into the arms of men and be punished? Or do you want God himself to punish you? What did David say? David said, hey, let me fall into the arms of God. Why? Because God is merciful. Men are without mercy. David must have learned that powerful lesson from the years of being betrayed by even close men, to know that God is the merciful one. Men are cruel. And you see, it helped him in his reign. Even when he made a mistake, these tests before he became king helped him. And today we're looking at the seventh test, which is the test of honor. Now, you need to understand that David is on the run from King Saul. And there are two times when Saul tries to kill David. First Samuel 24, the Bible says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goods. He came to the sheepfolds along with the way, along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. The Bible says David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, 
This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. <laughs> then David crept up and noticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not follow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. The Bible says, Then David went out of the cave and called unto Saul, My lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord gave into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but he spared you. I said I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed one. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Guys, I want you to look at this case and... I mean, it, it, it goes on towards the end of verse 24. Uh, in fact, maybe I should just read it. It says, against whom the king of Israel, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? Will the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord gave me into your hand, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Israel. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Uh, guys, this is a test that David went through. It was a test of honor. David has been ill-treated by Saul. And you would think, what's fair? What's fair? The fair thing is for David to, to, to fight, you know, for David to get his revenge. And look at what providence does, that the Lord just providently has King Saul go and relieve himself um you know in a cave and guess who's in that same cave david and then listen to the incitement in verse 4 of first samuel 24 the bible says the men say to david this is the day the lord spoke of when he said i will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish the men are inciting david to fight to dishonor king saul guys there are times you will be tested to be dishonorable to those who have opposed you and those who've caused you despair and those who've, and those who've betrayed you. There, there, there will be times when you will be tempted to injure those made in the image of God, but you must remember that they are made in the image of God. At the times, the people around you who support you, your fan base, your support system, your family, your friends, may even incite you, may even speak, they may even quote scripture. <laughs> <laughs> and these people are saying, this is the day the Lord spoke of. Remember what the Lord said. 
But you must have discernment to understand that it is not, it's simply not enough to quote a scripture because scriptures can be quoted out of context. Scriptures must be quoted accurately. Now, scriptures are supreme. Scriptures are accurate. What God says, the Lord's word is accurate. The prophetic words you receive, the Rema words that you receive are accurate, but they must be understood as far as the heart of God is concerned. Look at this incitement. Think about how David must have been burning to just do this. And David crept up and noticed and cut off a corn of Saul's robe. Now, David didn't do it because perhaps his conscience was telling him, no, it's the Lord's anointed. But he cut off a corn of, of, of Saul's robe. And we're told in verse 5, David was conscience stricken. Guys, the Lord gives you a conscience so that you remain honorable. There are people who act evil towards you. And the Bible says, do not repay evil with evil. That's from Romans chapter 12. I believe it's verse, um, Romans 12. Let me just confirm the, the verse for that particular one. Romans chapter 12. Uh, it says, do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. And the Bible is very clear about this because it wants us to be honorable. The Bible wants us to be honorable. Romans 12, 21. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not repay evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. David is tempted to overcome the evil of soul with evil. But honor dictates that you don't do that, but rather, instead of overcoming evil with evil, that you actually do the opposite. That you fulfill the command of God, and the fulfillment of God's command is to love those who hate you, to, to, to bless those who persecute you, to bless your enemies. It is a very, it is a very tempting portion for, for, it is a very tempting uh, opportunity for David. And David must be thinking, my goodness, um, I know the Bible says, bless those who persecute you, bless do not curse, but look at this guy. This guy deserves to die. This guy has killed the priest. So no, think about what David would have thought. David would have said, this man murdered the high priest. By murdering him, by killing him, I'll be doing the right thing. But listen to what the Lord says. The Bible says, David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him for his anointed of the Lord. David knows even though Saul has murdered the high priest and all the priests at Nob, and he has killed their families, their children, he has, he has been murderous, he has been ill-intent, even though he knows that what Saul has done is worthy of death, Saul, David knows that if death is to come, it will come by the hand of the Lord and at the Lord's time. And it will come when the Lord decrees it. David does not put himself in the place of God. And guys, when you are facing this test, many times you'll be tempted to put yourself in the place of God and fight for yourself. But you must remember the Bible says, it is mine to repay. Part of being honorable is trusting for God to fight for you. David confronted Saul, and look at what David keeps saying over and over. He says, may the Lord judge between you and me. What does he do? He defers to God. The way to pass this test, the way to pass this test of honor, when people mistreat you, is to remain honorable. And what is your comfort? That God is the judge between you and them. Look at what David says. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. He's not afraid to tell Saul, you have wronged me. But he's saying, I will be honorable. I will not fight back. The Lord will fight for me. 
Look at what he says. He says, may the, may the Lord consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Look at the honor of David. My friends, this is what you need to understand. You must be honorable even to the dishonorable. David was honorable to a dishonorable soul. David was honorable to a man who was dishonorable towards him. Do you understand that the Pharisees were very hypocritical, but Jesus was never hypocritical towards them? Do you understand that the Pharisees were Pharisees to others, but Jesus was never a Pharisee towards the Pharisees? Do you understand that it doesn't matter how wicked and and it doesn't matter how frustrating the Pharisees were, Jesus did not let out a similar kind of character towards them. The test of honor. Will you be honorable only to those who are honorable to you, or will you show honor to the dishonorable? This is a test on your way to destiny. You must pass this test. You must be an honorable man. You must be an honorable woman. You must be honorable. And the Bible says that even Saul blessed David. Saul realized that he had done wrong. And Saul even acknowledged that the kingdom belongs to David. You know, when you're honorable, the vision of your destiny even becomes clearer. If there was any point in that period where David was running away from King Saul and he doubted his anointing, he doubted his calling, he doubted uh, the promises of God, God confirmed it through who? Through his own enemies. Look at what Saul says. Saul says, may the Lord reward me, reward you rather, well for the way you treated me. I know that you'll surely be king. The promises of God have been confirmed by the enemy. And that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. The promises of God from 1 Samuel 6 have been confirmed. Swear to me that by the law that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out the name of my father's family. Saul is so sure that David will be so he'll be king. He is so sure that he even begins to negotiate on behalf of his family. Saul is so sure that his family will be deposed. He's so certain of it. And I can imagine David must have been thinking, even my enemies can clearly see the vision of God. How much more is it true for me? Honor clarifies vision, just as it clarified vision for David. Now it's interesting. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 26, second instance. The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakila, which faces Jeshimon? Okay. And the Bible says, Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 select Israelite troops to search there for David. Saul made his camp behind the road on the hill of Hakila facing Jeshimon, but David stayed in the wilderness. And of course, you can see more betrayal. And then the Bible says, when he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and done that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Na, the commander of the army, had laid down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army camped around him. David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul laying asleep inside the camp with his 
spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner's soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has given your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. Clean job, huh? But David said to Abishai, verse 9, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Look at that. That honor says, Inasmuch as this man here is wicked, is a sinner, he deserves death, don't take his life. Because who? That life belongs to God. This man is made in the image of God. You will be guiltless even though you kill him. As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. Look at what David is doing. He is deferring to the faithfulness of God. <laughs> but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Isn't that interesting? That when David uh, was sneaking into the camp with Abishai, everyone was asleep, no one woke up. Now, from an outward perspective, you could think, wow, David and Abishai are highly trained, stealth, wonderful, trained warriors who can sneak into a camp stealthily and overcome and no one wakes up. That's true. I know they're trained, but look at this. It says, because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. One reason the people did not wake up was, of course, David and Abishai are stealthy warriors, but another reason, the main reason is because the Lord caused everyone to put into a deep sleep. Look at that. That even the success of David and Abishai on this mission is not purely their expertise and their prowess. It is God's favor. Why is God giving them this favor? Because David is a man of honor. He's been he's passing the test of honor. Are you seeing that? When you pass the test of honor, you get God's backup. You get God's blessing. God backs up your experience. God backs up your gifts. God backs up your power. God backs up what is given you. God gives you success. Honor brings success. And, you know, many times we talk about honor, we only think about honoring. And, you know, the, this thing about honor has been often misused in many countries, especially in, especially in Nigeria. Uh, and I say this with due respect to my Nigerian brothers. There's a lot of, of man worship that we call honor. This is not what we're talking about here. This whole idea of kneeling before pastors, kneeling before bishops, you know, giving them money while kneeling down. You know, I know that also happens in, in some churches here in Nairobi where a pastor says in the name of honor, he kneels before another man and gives them, you know, a money or an offering or a, whatever it is, they call it a seed. That is not honor. That is idolatry and the Lord hates it. The real honor is not when you are treating those who you agree with and those who you love. That's not honor. You know what real honor is? Real honor is against the backdrop of your enemies. Real honor is when you've been slapped in the face. Real honor is when you've been hunted down and your life is on the line. That is a real honor. Forget about this kind of uh, honor that is often promulgated by um, prosperity churches. And I mention Nigeria because in Africa, uh, Nigeria has really exported a kind of prosperity um, gospel um, that turns honor into man worship, you know. And again, nothing against Nigeria. I know there are many faithful churches in Nigeria. There are many faithful churches in that country. But there are many other countries that have taken it up. South Africa has taken it up. Kenya has taken it up. In fact, those three countries, Nigeria, Kenya, and South Africa, have really been big on man worship in the name of honor. No, that's not it. Real honor is in the backdrop of your enemies. When your enemies are 
bitter towards you, when they are plotting to kill you, but you retaliate in a Christ-like way. That is real honor. That is biblical honor. And of course, you can still honor those who treat you well. I'm not saying honor is only towards your enemies. Honor, you are equal to honor our parents, honor our leaders, but the depth of honor, the real Christ-like honor, is when you've been treated like David by King Saul and you don't lay a hand on him. Why? Because you defer to the Lord. You defer to God's vengeance. The Bible says David crossed over to the other side, stood on a hill some distance. And the Bible goes on to say, um, he called up to the army and to Abner, son of Nah, aren't you going to answer me, Abner? And Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? And David says, you're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your Lord the king? Someone came to destroy your Lord the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men must die because you do not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and the water jug that were near his head? And the Bible says, Saul recognized David's voice and said, is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, yes, it is, the, yes, it is my Lord the king. And he added, why is the Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? What wrong am I guilty of? So you see, this is the same thing. That's, the, 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 this conversation is repeating itself. What happened in 1 Samuel 24 is happening in 1 Samuel 26. Okay, and he goes on to say all these things. You know, he says, you know what, you know, you know, what have I done? What what mistake have I done? You come in against me. I'm just a flea. You know, uh, you know, you know, you're hunting for a partridge in the mountains. And David shows Saul that I had every instance to kill you. Here's the king's spear. David says in verse twenty-two. You know, let one of the young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord gave you into my hands today, but I will not lay a hand on you. The Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so the Lord value my life and deliver me from all the trouble. So I'll say to David, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things that surely triumph. Guys, two times, two times, David was tempted to end the life of King Saul, but he remained honorable. There are times you'll be tempted to end someone's career to destroy someone's life, to expose them, to bring them to shame, to frustrate them, to expose them. And you're not doing it out of faithfulness, out of fidelity, because God does use men to expose other men. God does use men to end other careers of other men. God does use men to do all those things. But there are times you will get opportunities to do those things, and the motivation will not be the command of the Lord. The motivation would be vengeance. The motivation would be to get even. The motivation would be to quicken your destiny. That would be the motivation. Will you will you pass the test? Will you defer to God? You must defer to God. You must pass the test of honor. It is imperative that you pass that test. Friends, David had to be honorable because when he was king, he was able to be level-headed and when you're honorable to those who are dishonorable towards you, you gain a you gain sobriety, and that's the that's the virtue that is cultivated in you, sobriety. You get a sobriety, and that sobriety helps you to discern difficulty. That sobriety gives you a discernment in the midst of your enemies. When David was surrounded by enemies, when his own son Absalom. When people turned against him, it is that sobriety that he needed to be able to recalculate his moves and get back the throne. My friends, 
have you passed the test of honor? Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Relationship Center on the Edify Podcast Network. I pray it has blessed you. I pray it has been of um, blessing to you. Please share it with your friends and family. And we'll continue next week with the final test as we conclude the series. And my name is Ernest Wamboy. Thank you for listening. This is the Relationship Center of the Edify Podcast Network. And for more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you, please head over to the Edify website. That is www.edify.app. That is E-D-I-F-I.app. Or you could also go to the Google Store or the Apple Play Store and you could get the, the app right there. God bless you. See you next time.